Beneath a healing, cleansing flood, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, to trust Him more. I'll tell you what, I hope when we get to the point where we think we have arrived spiritually that we can say that prayer as the songwriter did. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm reminded of the man who came to Christ and uh, he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And I'm glad that we get to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And yet the truth of the matter is... uh, We still have some unbelief there, don't we? You know, the disciples, I almost preached on this this morning. I I was up a long period of time last night struggling with this, whether to preach this one or not. But uh, when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was in the hold of the boat sleeping, and uh, He gets up and uh, calms the storm. He looks to the disciples and He said, Oh, you have little faith. I thought, boy, what a what a testimony those fellows had, and yet Christ looked at them and said, a "Little faith." They they got to see the miracles of Jesus. They had watched him uh, uh, change the the withered hand of a man. They'd watched him heal a man of a palsy. They'd watched him uh, create all these miracles and do all these things, and yet they still lacked in faith. And I thought, you know, if these disciples who had seen, with their own eyes, they had seen Christ, they'd seen these miracles, if they had little faith, it causes me to be humbled and wonder, I wonder what my faith must be like. If theirs was little. You know, we criticize Peter a lot, don't we? And, and, And rightfully so. Peter had a lot of problems. I wish I was as much a man of God as Peter was, though. Peter's the only other man in history other than Christ Himself who's walked on water. I think that had been an amazing thing. And yet Peter was told that he was a man of little faith. And uh, I hope that we can constantly be in pursuit. That our heart's desire is, Lord, 
Help me to have more faith. Help me to trust you more. To have less care, less anxiety, less worry, and just trust you. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, I, I wish we could. Uh, my heart longs for that. It really does. Uh, there's a few things my heart really, really longs for. One of them is to be more like Christ. One of them is to trust Him more. And one of them is for the Holy Spirit to send revival. And uh, I'll tell you, I, uh, I, hope, I hope we long for those things. I really do. I hope that the Lord puts things like that on your heart as well. Well, we're going to sing one more song, ladies. Is that okay? Are you all up to it? Uh, I like the one right across the page there. It is well with my soul. Uh, number 256. I love this song. And let's sing it together, all four verses. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is <coughs> Why don't you think about that for a minute? Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. But this blessed assurance, control, that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. And it leads us into verse 3. And I want us to think about verse 3 as we sing it. Oh, the bliss. The bliss of this glorious thought. I don't know if we can ever get over it. I hope we don't ever get over it. And uh, let's sing that third verse together. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well.
well. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? Wednesday night, uh, I had been putting some things for our missions program together. Watched a, a short three-minute video of the Johnsons. We didn't weren't able to show it to the church, but I watched it uh, previously. And uh, there are missionaries to New York City, one of the most unchurched cities per capita uh, in the United States. And Brother Johnson made this statement and broke my heart. He said, if the rapture were to take place, would the city of New York even notice? I thought, boy, what a travesty. What a travesty that there would be that many people that would never even notice that the Lord had come. Now, I know the Bible says every eye shall see Him, and I understand Scripture. But his his thought was, there are so many people there that would be lost and left behind that if it was left up to just looking around and seeing a bunch of people missing, chances are in that city, in that great, great city, it would be hardly noticeable at all. And I began to wonder how that would be in Festus. We're a smaller town. You know, if we were to take all of the Bible-preaching churches and I would categorize them this way today that a person could get saved in. Can we just say it that way? They may not be in all points like we are, but they could hear a true presentation of the gospel. If we were to take all of those churches in Jefferson County today, I doubt very seriously that we will have even 1%. 1% of the population in one of those churches today. That's a sobering thought. Lord, haste the day I'm looking forward to. I hope you are too. As a Christian, there's great peace in that. There's great joy in that. But I hope it also convicts us. I really do. I hope it causes us to be stirred. There's great, great work to be done in so little time. So little time. And it's not like we're sitting around waiting saying, Lord, where's the harvest at? All you got to do is lift up your eyes and look under the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. That was 2,000 years ago. I wonder what they are today. I know a lot of times we use the excuse, well, it's just too hard to reach people in the day that we live with the gospel. And uh, I believe that there is a very strong, very strong attitude against the things of God, or at least for the things of this world, more so than the things of God. 
sad to say, even in our churches many times, which the Bible refers to as the pillar and the ground upon which truth rests. And the psalmist said, if truth is fallen in the streets, what can the righteous do? And when the church begins to dwindle and not uphold the truth of God's Word, it's no wonder that only 1% of the folks today at best are sitting in a Bible-preaching church where they can hear the gospel. No wonder we look around New York City and places like California and some places like you know, where, where a lot of unsaved people live, like Missouri. And we say, I wonder why. I wonder why. I uh, have shared with some, some folks recently. And I hate to say this because when I was a young man, it wasn't so. But America is now the second greatest country of having missionaries being sent to it to try to evangelize our country, our Christian nation. Countries all around the world looking to our nation and saying they need Christ. And here we sit in the second largest mission field in the world. And I'll be honest with you, it convicts me. There have been a few things this week that uh, God has allowed in my life to, uh, to, to see some things, perhaps. And even some areas that I have not been as diligent in with regards to reaching people with the gospel. Maybe some, some knowledge of Scripture that I was delinquent in or didn't understand fully as well as I should have. And yet I've not taken the time to sit and study and learn it well so that I could be more prepared to share the gospel. And I want to, I want to try to encourage us. It's not our message this morning, but can we, can we have a renewal in our hearts of a brokenness for the lost? And say, Lord, use me. Help me to, to, to be a testimony. Help me to study Scripture, to know it, to be a blessing to those that need to hear. I uh, was listening to a young man just this week. I think it was Monday. It might, might have been Saturday of last week. Is just in the last few days here. And he had asked the question. He said, if someone has never heard the gospel, would they still die and go to hell? Or would God have compassion on them? According to Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that they're without excuse. But you know, one of the sadder things of Scripture is the fact that many times we will be held responsible for the times that we should have shared the gospel that we did not. And uh, I believe a lot of the tears that God will have to wipe away in heaven are going to be tears where we see what God longed to do with us and that we just simply did not do it. Tears of regret. See people that were friends, that we loved, that we cared for in this life that we knew we should have shared the gospel with, and we didn't. Always too busy, always something else to do. The conversation didn't lend itself and we find all other kind of reasons and excuses why we don't share the gospel with them. 
And uh, I hope that God will break our hearts again. Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you will. Turn to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter 9. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you this? The Bible says that Christ, He said, speaking of Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. If you've never come through the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, then the Bible teaches us that you're not going to go to heaven. I don't, I don't care how good of a life you've lived. I have preached too many funerals of people who uh, their family said, well, they were such a good person. They lived such a good life. I know they'll be in heaven because of this. And I've had to stand there as a preacher and explain to folks that it is not by our good works that we get to heaven. It's not by a life that we live that we get to heaven. But it's whether or not we got to a place where we realized we could not save ourselves no matter what we did. And that if we were going to be saved from this place called hell, this condemnation that we're already in because of our sin, if we're going to escape that, we're going to have to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He did on Calvary for us. The fact that He died in our place. He was our substitute. That He paid the price. He died. He was buried. And then I'm thankful that as God Himself, He rose again. Victory over the grave. Victory over the payment of sin and death. And then He turns around and freely offers it to us. And says, I have paid the price. All you have to do is trust in it. Put your faith in it. All that I have done. Don't trust your works. Don't trust your church membership. If you say, I'm going to join Keith the Heights Baptist Church so I can go to heaven, I'll tell you, you can join Keith the Heights Baptist Church, but you will join and still go to hell if that's what you're trusting. Well, I want to get baptized so I can go to heaven. I'll baptize you if you think that you need to be baptized and that you feel like you're scripturally saved. But if that's what you're trusting to get you saved, you'll come up wet, but you'll still be on your way to hell. There's only one way to get saved. I've heard people say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as we all believe in the same, you know, heaven, same God. No. My friend, it matters very greatly what you believe. You say, well, Brother Greg, isn't that kind of narrow-minded? It may be, but it's not from my mind. It's from the Bible. The Bible says, broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. But he said, narrow is the gate. Straight is the way that leadeth unto life. And he made this statement, and I, this, this burdens me. And few there be that find it. I was listening to a quote-unquote Christian radio or Christian television program a couple of years ago, a number of years ago now, I guess probably about eight years, nine years ago. And they made the statement that their signal was now over all the world. You couldn't go anywhere in the world and not get a signal from their broadcast. And they were talking about this, and they said God has done a great work in the last several years. And as best we can tell, we believe that 98% of the world is now saved. 
I began to weep. Twice in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. At the end thereof are the ways of death. My friend, if you're here today and you're trusting anything, anything, save the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for you, then you're lost. You say, Brother Greg, I've been in church a long time. I don't care. You're lost. I've been a church member. I've been in ministry. I've, I've taught a Sunday school class. I don't care. You're lost. I grew up in a pastor's home. I sat there for 13 years lost in a pastor's home. You'd think if anybody would be saved, it would not be a pastor's kid. I know those guys. They're, they're terrible people. <laughs> but you'd think if anybody would be saved, it'd be a pastor's family. And I tell you, I had to put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ just like anyone else did. I was going to the same hell. The, the, the sin in my life cost the Lord Jesus Christ the same price as anybody else's. And uh, I hope that you're saved this morning. That's our, our desire. It's our prayer. I would hate for anybody to send under the preaching here at Keith Heights Baptist Church and walk out those doors lost. There's a rich young ruler that came to Christ one day said, what good thing must I do to be saved? That was his problem. He was asking the Lord, what can I do? I want to do something for my salvation. And Jesus told him to keep the commandments. He said, this I've done from a youth. And he said, okay, then I want you to go and take all that you have. And again, he was a rich fellow. So I want you to take all that you have and give it to the poor. And you know the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Can you think of the travesty of that? I, I hope, I hope that before that young man died, he trusted Christ as his Savior. But if Scripture gives any indication of it whatsoever, I don't believe he did. We never hear of him again. Could you imagine coming that close to the threshold of eternity and saying, I... I want to be saved, and I want to do something to be saved. And Jesus points out to us that it's not about what we do. And we walk away. I can't put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's too easy. Well, sure you can. If Jesus is who He says He is, if He loves us as much as He says He loves us, and if He's done for us what He says that He has done for us, why would He make it hard? Why would He make it difficult? God is, God is not a, 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 someone out there that is uh, superior to the point of looking down at us and, and stringing us along for His own pleasure. God's absolute desire is for us to be with Him for eternity. His heart's desire, it grieves his heart when a man rejects him. He wants nothing more than for you to put your faith in him that you can spend eternity with you, fellowshipping with you. I don't understand why. We ought to be the ones that have everything in our being wanting to spend with God. And yet he loves us so much that he wants to spend eternity with us. I know me. That's not a good bargain for him. It just isn't. 
but it sure is for me. And it sure is for you. Well, that's not even our message. We better get preaching this morning. We're not going to make it. Matthew chapter number 9. He entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. (coughs) Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitudes saw it, They marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in his house, behold, many publicans... And sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? (coughs) But when Jesus heard that he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, we pray that you will bless the message. Lord, strengthen our faith. Teach us your heart. I pray that you would help us to not be like the Pharisees. Lord, they were very religious. They were outwardly clean. But Father, they were, they were certainly not desirous of other people coming to a saving knowledge of You. I pray that You would help us to learn the lesson from the passage this morning and may it sink deep into our hearts. May we never forget it, but that we would hold to this truth throughout the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find, first of all, that Jesus encounters a a man that is sick of the palsy. The great miracle of Matthew chapter number 9, when I was growing up, I used to think, boy, this is a great miracle. The miracle of the healing of the man with the palsy. As I grew up and, and studied Scripture more and read this passage a few more times, I began to see something in it that was not my initial thought, and that was this, that the great miracle of chapter number 9 was not the healing of the palsy. The great miracle of chapter 9 of the book of Matthew was the forgiveness of the man's sins. 
oftentimes we look for things that appear to be the great miracle of God. We, we become all about appearances, don't we? Oftentimes we, we, even in our churches, if we're not careful, we'll become so consumed that we appear a certain way that we miss out on the greater truth. That Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus teaches these Pharisees something that they certainly did not understand. I, I hope and pray that God would take whatever bit of Pharisaical heart that I have and purge it from me. For he, he gets through forgiving this man of his sins in verse number 2. And the Bible says, And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And rather, rejoice, rather than rejoicing that a notable miracle had been done here, they become critical. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, and I, I love this, and by the way, if there's ever a verse that ought to bring conviction to my heart and to your heart, it ought to be the verse number 4 when the Bible says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts. Well, wouldn't we live a lot differently if we lived with that in mind? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, go to thy house. As I read this, I'll tell you some Gregology for a moment. This is what I think. I think certainly Christ knew what He was going to do in the situation. But He made it seem, did He not, as if He would forgive the man of his sins and then go on? In reading it, it seems like the only reason that He brought physical healing to the young man was for the benefit of the scribes. In fact, he even says that. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy. He could have said that at the beginning, couldn't he? He could have said, Arise and go into thine house. He could have told that young man the moment he saw him. And occasionally Jesus does do that in his ministry. But not this time. And I think that we have this story in Scripture for no other reason than to show us this. That God is far, far more concerned with a man's spiritual condition than he is with his physical condition. I would tell you this, if that's the heart of God on the matter, what should be our hearts? I see people that spend millions and billions of their dollars and an unbelievable amount of sacrificial time and effort, and they give of themselves for humanitarian causes to go and help people that are less fortunate and that are sick. And you see advertisements for the mercy ships and, and places that just need help for the physical care of, the, of these people. 
And can I say this, that, that while the physical care of this man certainly was taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ, and while I certainly believe humanitarian things are noble causes and ought to be things we involve ourselves in as Christians, that the priority of our life ought to be what is the condition of that man's soul. That when we put forth the effort to help in a humanitarian way, that we take the same example of the Lord Jesus Christ and put forth as much or more effort in knowing what that man's spiritual condition is and trying to heal him from his sin sickness. These scribes are critical of this. Verse number 8, he says, But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which gave such power unto men. It's interesting to me, in the first verse of chapter 9, he entered into a ship and passed over and came into what? His what? His own city. Elsewhere in Scripture, you know the Bible says that when he came to Nazareth, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He was in his own city, his own place where people knew him. And I, look, I like when I read verse number 8, I, I, I don't like it, but I, I understand this truth. He says, but when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God that He had given such power unto men. In spite of the miracle that had been done, in spite of the fact that He was trying <coughs> through the miracle to convince the hearts of men that He was not just a man, He was not just a prophet, but He was in truth the Son of God with the ability to forgive men their sins. In spite of all of that, they marveled and said, He's still just a man that God has given power to. They get to verse number 10, or verse number 9, And Jesus passed forth from thence, and saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And by the way, these fellows like Matthew, they, they were not looked at in good regard. Most of them were crooked. Most of them were robbing the, 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 the uh, folks in their taxes. And, and, and Matthew, of all people, was despised. And the kind of folks that were around Matthew were of the baser sort. And I love this in verse 10. It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with Him and His disciples. We live in a world today where some people misunderstand this. They think that the church needs to become like the sinners in order to reach them. Christ never became like the sinner. It doesn't say that. In fact, it doesn't even say that Jesus went to the places that they were going and doing their sinful deeds at and participated in those things with them so He could relate to them. But it does say this. It said that as He sat at meat in Matthew's house, that the publicans and the sinners came and sat down with Him. There was something unique about the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we be in agreement this morning that these publicans and sinners saw something in Him that they said, I need to find out some more about that. I'm missing something here. And they come and they sit with Him. And if Jesus had been a typical, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist, 
He might have said, well, whoa, 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 you can't come to this church. You get your life cleaned up, then you can come to our church. That's not what Jesus did, is it? He didn't participate with them, but He did welcome them. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto His disciples, Why eateth your Master with publicans and sinners? Now there's the independent fundamental Baptist typical person, isn't it? I mean, I'm a good independent Baptist. Why do you let why do you let sinners into your church? Why do you let hypocrites? I was talking to a fellow a number of years ago. He said, "You know why I don't go to church?" I said, "Why?" He said, "Because there's too many hypocrites there." He said, "I know too many of those folks that go to church and they dress a certain way on Sunday, and they act a whole different way the rest of the week." By the way, that ought to tell us something about how we live our life Monday through Saturday. But he said, I won't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. I said, isn't that where you want them to be? The truth of the matter is, we're all hypocritical because none of us are perfect. What makes the difference? Some stand afar off and criticize those that are coming to Christ. And while they're not perfect, they are seeking Him. They are longing for Him. And there are those religious... I'm going to be unkind and say the word snobs if I can. Pharisaical Christians, pharisaical religious leaders. They look down their nose at that. Say, those sinners ought not be around that place. I mean, that's a church. And you let them in there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Because we are more concerned about their soul than we are about their physical condition. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto the disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And I'm just going to share with you what the Lord Jesus said. Can we do that this morning? You don't need to know what Brother Greg thinks about it. Let's see what Jesus thinks about it. Can we do that this morning? But when Jesus heard that, He said unto them, Now this is His thoughts. They that be whole need not a physician. But they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I'm not going to just put on an outward show. I'm going to have mercy on these folks. They're coming. They're seeking me. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? I want to. The message this morning is just a singular thought. I don't. I don't have multiple points, but it's this: when it comes to reaching the lost, are we willing to be in their presence, to be where they're at, so that we can reach them? I'm not talking about going to a bar and joining in with what they're doing. But when a sinner walks through that door or walks down the street and I go and check my mail and I go and I talk to them, it may be one of the wickedest men in town. And there may be some that will drive by and say, well, I can't believe Pastor was talking to that fella. I might even load him up in my truck and take him for a cup of coffee and share the gospel with him. 
And some people may see me at a restaurant with him and say, I can't believe pastor's with that guy. Why not? Christ would be. Jesus trying to teach all of this to His disciples. He's trying to teach a point to them. And I want you to notice as we get to the end of chapter number 9, and you can take time to read through the rest of chapter 9, some tremendous things there. But look with me, if you will, over in verse number 36. The Bible says, but when He saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, I don't know about you, but I want to be a disciple. I want to learn from Christ. I want Him to teach me. I want Him to guide me. I want my life to follow the things that are after His heart. I hope that is the desire of every Christian here today. And he tells his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Can I tell you this today? We have probably more churches in the United States of America per capita than most other nations. Why is it that we are the second largest mission field in the world? Could it be that sitting in the pews of our churches are laborers who do not go into the fields? Could it be that even in our Bible-believing, independent, fundamental, separated, Baptist churches. We take more pride in what we are not than we do in what we are. Well, Pastor, I I don't do this and I don't do that and I'm not this and I don't do this. Okay, are you a laborer? Are Are you moved with compassion as our Savior was? And he tells the disciples, this harvest is great. He says, and the laborers are few. And so he makes this statement, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers unto His harvest. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That field out there, Lord, that's full of sinners. That's full of publicans. I can't go out there. I gotta stay in my church. I gotta sit in the pews. I mean, I've gotta be something that I'm not. I mean, I've gotta not be something that. I, I, I think we've missed it somewhere. I am as separated as a man can be. I, I believe in separation. I believe the Bible teaches that. But we have become so separated. We have ceased being laborers. We are so busy trying to doctor the whole while the sick lay outside the church dying. May God help us to be laborers in the field. 
and not just sitting in a church, content with what we have. For there's a great harvest that needs to be brought in. I'll say this when we begin to pray for God to send forth laborers. Be careful. It might just be you. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. I like what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter number 6. When God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Right, right here, Lord. Send me. It's interesting to me that some of the, some of the most separated... Some of the most outwardly holy men of that day. I mean, outwardly they were clean. They obeyed the law. Were critical that when the sinners and the publicans came to Christ, they said, why is he with them? Because he was more concerned about their soul than he was about their outward condition. And by, by God's grace, we ought to pray and ask Him to help us be that way. Let's, let's not become so, so enamored with all the things that we're not. Let's not become so concerned with like other churches that are in our group of fellowship and, and association, think of us. And let's get out here and be a laborer. Let's reach people with the gospel. Because folks, time is short. Time is short. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed, please. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. There can be no greater example than one you've given us in Matthew chapter number 9. And yet it's so convicting. Lord, our hearts are heavy oftentimes with our failure in this area. May we be broken about it. May we strive because of that brokenness to do better. May our hearts be stirred afresh with compassion. May our eyes be opened. May we look under the fields. May we see the harvest. And then, Father, may we obey Your command to pray that You would send forth laborers. And, Lord, submitting our will to Yours, saying, if it's me, then let me be a laborer. I pray that You'll bless the invitation. Lord, if there's someone here that's not saved, I pray that this morning they would trust You as their Savior. They'd get that matter settled. For Christians that are here, Lord, I pray that You'd help us to have a revived and a renewed view for the lost. May we be burdened. May we be concerned. May we be diligent to labor. May Your Holy Spirit strengthen us for the task at hand. May He constantly bring the heart into remembrance this message. May He motivate us and stir us afresh and anew. Bless the invitation, Lord, use it as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have just...
the piano and organ, play a few verses of an invitation. If God spoke at your heart this morning, perhaps you'd come. Maybe if you would like to make the decision in your seat, that's fine. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I plead with you? Find one of us. Come forward in the invitation or after the service. And say, I need to be saved. Can you show me how to do that? We'd be glad to do that. For Christians that are here, perhaps we just need to come and say, Lord, make me a laborer. Make me a laborer. Thank you. May lift your heads. Can we can we sing that song, that little chorus? <clears throat> I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back. No turning back. All right. We're, yeah, we're going to take just a second to recognize our mothers. And if you need to step out, I know we're ten minutes after. 
Uh, I understand, and you can get a present from us later if you need to go. But if you don't mind sticking around for two or three minutes, we got our young people going to bring you a, a gift. So I'm going to have everyone sit down, and I'm going to have all the mothers, if you would, come forward, if you don't mind. Uh, just stand right across the front here. We're going to have just a prayer with you and a gift to give to you from some uh, from our church. Okay, all the women. All right, even if you're not a mother. So all the women. So apparently we got... A lot of presents, so <laughs> come on up. All the ladies, yes. All right. Get Miss Pam up here. There we go. Yeah. So God has certainly sure blessed our church with some godly ladies, and uh, we thank the Lord for it. And uh, you know where where would this world be without godly mothers? You know, there's. How many people I've heard that have said, I got saved because I had a godly mother that prayed for me. The influence that moms have on young people in rearing children and helping the dad as they uh, labor together in the home. And um, then godly women. Uh, I know we have some up here maybe that are not mothers yet. But uh, godly women that pray that seek to please God, and we thank the Lord for it. Yes, come on up, uh, Blair. They'll be fine. And you can go ahead and hand those out. And once they all get one of these, uh, we'll have a word of prayer. And that'll be our dismissal prayer. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we'd like to invite you to lunch downstairs. I think we have lunch downstairs. Do we have lunch down there today, ladies? Did you make the men cook it this week for since it's Mother's Day? If so, it had been bologna and cheese probably. All righty. Thank you, ladies, for that. Let's have a word of prayer with our moms and our ladies up here, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful for the ladies that you brought into this church. What a gracious, gracious blessing it has been to see their labor of love and service here, to hear the testimony of their lives, many of them, and uh, how you've used them over the years to uh, reach young people, to build godly homes, and, uh, Lord, the influence that they have had is really something that only eternity will be able to tell. And so, Lord, this, this morning, this afternoon, on this day, we'd like to take a few moments to thank you for all that you've allowed them to be for this church and for their families. And pray that you would give them many more years of serving you, laboring for you, help them to be all that you would have them to be. Dismiss us now, we pray, with your blessings. Thank you for a sweet day today. And pray that you would bless the uh, time of fellowship and the food and uh, the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.